0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Buckeye Weekly Podcast. I am Tony Gerdeman, here as always with Tom or Tom. How's it
1: going? Well, Tony, we just got, I don't know what, three hours of Ohio State football interviews, give or take. A whole bunch of Ohio State talk. I guess it was more like two hours, but still. A lot of Ohio State football talk. Feels like we went from the Peach Bowl, where lots of lots of Ohio State football talk to a month of nothing, and then boom, it's National Signing Day. Nothing is happening with Ohio State and National Signing Day, but man, did we get to talk a lot
0: about football this morning. We did, now, Tom. Now, now we are the ones drinking through the fire hose with all of the information that, you know, it's just this huge download of talking to every coach for like 20 to 30 minutes, but... They're all kind of going on. It's four or five coaches going on at a time on the indoor. So you're running from place to place, talking, asking questions, hearing snippets of stuff. The day started with Brian Day for an hour and then uh, get done with him. And then it's the rest of the coaches for for like the next hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And ton, tons of stuff that came out. So we thought, you know, let's just spill it all. Just get it all out there that, that we heard, that we learned. And then uh, maybe regroup at some point, as Ryan Day says, bring our heads back above water And after we've listened and and read all of the transcripts and gotten all of the information. But just as an initial what we learned today, I think there's quite a bit, and it starts out with some guys who are not going to be taking part in spring practice. And there's some pretty big names here, Tom, and make sure I've got all of these because these are – they said them all quickly in a row, and and I tried to write them all down. So Julian Fleming – Emeka Ebuka, Tommy Eikenberg, Evan Pryor, Mitchell Melton, Travion Henderson, Court Williams, and Jacob James. Did I get them all?
1: Those are the eight that I had, yes. Not in the same order. Somehow, you did not end up with them in the same order that I did, which is interesting. But yes, those are the same names that I had. And uh, you know, I think I posted something on our board about the list of people, and people were kind of wondering, like, but how, how are some of these guys? You know, they were They were playing. They were essentially full go in the Peach Bowl. What has happened that these guys are now out? And I think there's a lot of just sort of, you know how they always say, no one is 100% at the end of the football season. Well, I think a lot of these guys were not 100% at the end of the football season. And you just ended up, you've up you got some cleanup surgeries and some stuff that's sort of nagging that you can sort of play through, but then you you want to get it fixed during the off season. And they're getting a lot of that stuff fixed now. And then, you you know, some of this is also just, a lot of these guys, you know, if this was the season, I'm sure could probably be going and ready to go by the time the spring rolls around. But there's no reason to rush back veteran players who are, you know, that you, you want them healthy. They've got, you know, they're in the uh, what was the what was the Urban Meyer? The how many rep club? Two thousand rep club. Yeah. You potentially have guys in the two thousand rep club where, OK, this is a chance to let some of the younger guys play and get some experience and start to. uh show what they can do so you know i don't think this is any cause for concern for ohio state it just feels like you know these are these are a bunch of guys who were not 100 percent at the end of the season and then they have uh some have had had some procedures to kind of get some of that stuff cleaned up
0: yeah all pretty normal none of it is going to keep any of those guys out from the fall and so you get it taken care of now and they'll, they'll be ready and we'll we're going to go through position by position of what we learned, so we'll, I think, get into each of these and, and their impact of not being in spring ball as we get to their respective positions. Uh, but first time, before we do that, Ryan Day was asked about giving up play calling. I feel more confident now that he is going to give up play calling than I did beforehand, because he talked about how they're going to let Brian Hartline do quite a bit of it this spring and see how it goes. Brian Hartline said he's completely comfortable with it and he's because he has a good support cast around him. But do you feel more confident that he's going to give up the play calling, or do you think it's just going to go back to revert to what he what it was?
1: I think it's going to be I, I feel almost a hundred percent sure that Brian Hartline is going to be calling plays at least for a while during the season. And that might be starting from day one. But the way Ryan Day framed it was it's not necessarily as much of an issue at the beginning of the season. It's once you start getting into the middle and end portions of the season, when there's so much other stuff going on and you want to be able to focus on, the, you know, the, the sort of more CEO level stuff, team, uh, you know, team, uh, building and attitude and, you know, focus and all that kind of stuff. You want to be able to focus on that stuff later in the season which is not necessarily as much of a concern when you're, you know, in the first couple weeks of the season. Once you get kind of into the port- point of the season where it sort of turns into a grind, that's where Ryan Day wants to be able to focus on some other stuff. So it feels like, you know, you if you have the opportunity to have Brian Hartline start calling plays against, uh, I can't even remember who the bad teams they're playing this year are. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The uh, games where the talent is not equated. Uh, I think Western Kentucky's on the schedule this year. Teams like that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's Western Kentucky and Youngstown State, right? Yeah,
0: I I was going to suggest Ryan Day is probably going to do, in your theory, he's going to do the J.J. McCarthy, Cade McNamara thing, where Ryan Day will be like, I'll tell you what, let's just start it out with me. I'll go with the first three games, Indiana, Youngstown, Western Kentucky. And then, Brian, I'll turn it over to you for Notre Dame. We'll see how things go. We'll see how happy people (laughs) are after you call your first game. And if you do a bang-up job, you'll keep doing it. If you can do as as good as I did, then you can have the job. But if you don't, then it might be time to come back to me. In which case, then it's like Maryland and Purdue. And then <laughs> Ryan Day be like, okay, I'll give you one more chance. Penn State's coming to town this week. I'm going to let you call the plays. And then it's just going to continue to be this, this roller coaster of um, you're letting us down, Brian. I better just keep the plays.
1: Yeah, I, I have a strong suspicion that's not exactly how it's going to play out. That's just that's just, me and, you know, that <laughs> it was it was uh, an interpretation of what I said, I suppose. Yes. It, yeah, it does. It feels like this is Brian Hartland's going to be given every opportunity to be the one who calls the plays this year. And you get the sense that Ryan Day probably wants to do this because if Ryan Day didn't want to do this, Ryan Day is the head coach, so Ryan Day doesn't have to turn this over. I think Ryan Day recognizes that, hey, this may be something that when you get into the meat of the regular season, like, hey, this may be something that towards the end of the year, you want to you wanna get some of that stuff off your plate. What honestly might be more interesting to me is when you get back into the December period, if they are heading into the college football playoff again, does he sort of take a bigger role again when you have a little bit more time to take a breath and, you know, have a little bit more, you know, deep dive kind of time when it's not just a week to week grind? Does it go back to him maybe being a little more involved for the, if they're in the CFP semifinals this year? That might be a little interesting to watch and see if there's any kind of change there. But yeah, it does, it does feel like he is, you know, he, he kind of floated to Kirk Cur- Herb Street about a month ago. And now it seems like, okay. This is maybe, you know, he's he is very seriously looking at it and and sounds like he's probably probably going to end up doing it.
0: If he takes over, if he gives Brian Hartline play calling duties and they do really, really well, and then he takes it back over in December for like the playoffs, that's like, um, when uh Greg Popovich took over the Spurs because now we've got David Robinson and Tim Duncan. I'm going to go from GM to coach because, you know, I know how best to use these guys. And then you just, you bask in the glory of that. I think that's uh that's dirty pool, Tom. I, I don't like either of your theories. In fact, I, I'm not, I'm
1: not saying he's, I'm not saying he's going to, you know, completely take over the play calling. I'm saying he may get more involved in the, you know, in the game planning process. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to completely change horses midstream there. I don't think in terms of who's actually calling the plays, but. That just, that feels like an opportunity when you have a little more time and a little bit more room to breathe between, you know, it's not just six days away, seven days away from the next game. You maybe have a little more of an opportunity to get involved in the process at that
0: point. I do wonder how easy it is to switch play callers when things are going well, because we know they switch at times when things are going poorly. I wonder how seamless it is to do it when it's going well, if they choose to do it that way. But let's get into the position stuff um start with quarterbacks because that's where everything starts. Ohio State obviously has a quarterback battle, going to be a legit quarterback battle starting from level 1 for both guys. They did say that he would like to know who the starter is by the end of, of spring camp. And I know we've continued to say that there's no way he's going to name a starter before 2 weeks before the the first game just like he did with CJ Stroud, just like he did with Justin Fields. Even even when everybody knows the starter, he still holds off This time, when you have a completely open competition and you don't necessarily know who the starter is, maybe the sooner you find out who that guy is, they said they'd they'd like to know that. It would help the program to know who their leader is, all of that stuff the coaches always talk about. And I I believe that because then I asked him if there's a danger of not not knowing who that guy is at the end of spring camp, which is also what happened in the 2017 season. Between Haskins and Joe Burrow, if you go in, if you leave camp, leave spring without an answer, then some of the decisions may be made for you, and that's that's just a, a tough situation.
1: It is a tough situation, and you're you have guys who are, you know, not quite in exactly the same situation that Joe Burrow was in, but you have uh, a Kyle McCord coming into his third year. And you may, you may have either Kyle McCord or Devin Brown saying, look, if I'm not starting this year, I, you know, I don't want to wait another year or whatever. And you want to kind of have a neat, clean decision coming out of spring ball. I still kind of don't think they're going to, that just doesn't, that, that feels like that would be a very, kind of a big surprise for them to come out of spring with, yes, this is absolutely our starting quarterback for this fall. No questions asked, signed, sealed, delivered, it is done. Because if that does happen, that feels like you're, number one, you're inviting someone to transfer. And number two, it just feels like these are, you know, this is not Justin Fields versus Gunnar Hoke. This is two guys who are both five star quarterbacks coming in who have, you know, one has a little bit more experience. They have slightly different skill sets, as Brian Day said a couple times. But, you know, these are both very, very talented quarterbacks who are going to be, you know, potentially both nfl quarterbacks at some point so i it it feels like that's going to be they 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 i don't think that's going to be such a neat easy clean decision at the end of spring they may be forced into making that decision or kind of letting people know hey here's where things stand right now and you know you guys are exactly even is not going to be viewed as an acceptable answer but that just i, I would be pretty surprised if one of those guys was so clearly head and shoulders above the other one coming out of spring that that you know it like absolutely one hundred percent stone cold lock this is going to be the starting quarterback this fall. maybe that happens that just that does not seem like the most likely outcome here
0: and it feels like if that did happen, it would almost be because somebody's playing so poorly, and obviously that's not a great sign either it just both of these guys, neither one of them have, have played enough to be where they're so far superior to the other. Obviously, one's going to be better than the other and is going to win a job. But I, I think feels like they're too, too close to have such distance in just 15 spring practices. And, uh, you know, if it happens, it happens. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't expect it to happen. But also, that doesn't mean that, uh, either one, neither one, both can be leaders. Ryan Days said, You don't need to be the starting quarterback to be a leader at quarterback. And I would expect both of those guys to continue to lead as if they will be the starting quarterback. And I'm sure they're doing it right now as well. And this is during, you know, offseason mat drills, all this stuff when you have different groups and you can create leaders and name leaders or guys are vying to be leaders. I would expect both of the quarterbacks to be heavily involved there. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is officially live in Ohio. Now you can legally bet on all your favorite sports anytime and anywhere right here in Ohio with DraftKings. For a limited time, new customers who sign up with promo code Up will receive $200 in bonus bets instantly. Right now you have the NFL playoffs going on. The NBA and the NHL are in full swing. There is plenty of action to have fun with. DraftKings has the best features, including same-game parlays, player props, and more with fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers can use promo code Huddle up to get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code Huddle up. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21 and over, physically present in Ohio. Valid one offer per first-time depositors who have not already redeemed $200 in free bets via pre-launch offer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as bonus bets. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash OH for term. Running backs, Tom. No Travion Henderson. No Evan Pryor in the spring, as we mentioned. So that, that leaves plenty of room for Dallin Hayden, plenty of room for Mayan Williams that probably don't need to give too many reps to. Chip Chip, Tr- Chip Trayton is staying at running back. So it's basically going to be those guys and some some young guys uh, or some walk-ons as well. I did find it interesting, Tony Alford was asked about Evan Pryor and the plans that they have for him, and somebody mentioned, you know, could you use him like Xavier Johnson? He's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, some of the vision that they have for him. And to me, I think that's yes. Anything using anybody the way you used Xavier Johnson, including Xavier Johnson, I think that is a a bonus and is a plus because it's not normal. It's and it's not gadgety either. It's effective, and if you've got more guys that can do that, more power to you. But um, it won't be in the spring. But they're not going to have too many guys that they can't. Like everybody's going to, the, the guys that they have, I think it's, you're going to be able to spread it out. And having mine, because we weren't sure exactly how, was there anything that mine would need cleaned up? You know, so we weren't exactly sure he would be part, participating. But having three scholarship guys going, I don't know if you need more than that during the spring, honestly. You
1: don't need more than that in the spring. And I mean, with the guys who they have, how much, you know, how many reps does Mayan Williams really need in the spring? I mean, I'm sure I, I would guess you're going to see a lot of Dallin Hayden this spring. Because Mayan Williams is enough of a veteran that you probably don't need to work him super, super hard. Chip, train him. You know, we'll see. We'll see how, you know, where he ends up fitting in in that depth chart. One thing that was interesting was they, they th- are thinking about using Evan Pryor in a role similar to what they use Xavier Johnson in. So is Xavier Johnson going to be in the running back's room? No. Tony Alfred said he's still working with the with the wide receivers. So They're going to have, you know, potentially you could use those guys in similar roles, but Evan Pryor's not going to be out there in the spring and Xavier Johnson's not going to be in the running back room. So it'll be interesting to see how all those pieces fit together. But, you know, to your point there, that was such an effective weapon for Ohio State. And it was just, it was just a little bit of a change up. It was just a little bit of a a twist or a difference off of what they had been running and, and doing before. And you've got some unique skill sets there and. If you can take advantage of those and just keep your opponent off balance a little bit and give that defense, you know, one more kind of different look to have to prepare for and worry about and potentially set yourself up with a, you know, if you get Xavier Johnson on a middle linebacker, that's probably a winning matchup for Ohio State. And you can maybe scheme yourself into situations like that. So, yeah, if if they can get Evan Pryor into that kind of situation once he's back out there and healthy, you can get Xavier Johnson in those kind of situations absolutely it's just one more one more weapon that they they can potentially deploy this fall
0: tony alfred also said Henderson henderson's pretty bothered by the way he played this year not being healthy not being able to do everything that he wanted and uh, the assumption is that that's going to drive him for uh, for next year for his junior season so look for that it just again won't happen during the spring moving to receivers time this is something i said to you before we started now that Brian Hartline is the offensive coordinator, and he talked for about 20, 22 minutes or so, I think there's only like one question about the wide receivers. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him at all, so I probably also would have asked about being OC now. But we're not we're not going to get as much um, information from him anymore on wide receivers, it feels like. And also thinking back to also t- talking with Jim Knowles, I don't know how many people asked him about linebacker, and he's a linebacker's coach. So, um that's neither here nor there, Tom. Just a complaint uh, about myself and uh, my fellow cohorts in the business. Let's not forget, these guys are position coaches first, okay? Sure, this is the first time you get to talk to Brian Hartline about being an offensive coordinator, but we need to find out about these wide receivers.
1: We do, and and I think we're going to find out a lot about them in the spring because the guys you already know about, the Emeka Apukas and Julian Flemings, those guys are out. So you're not going to have them taking reps during the spring. You know, I we have seen veteran guys, you know, the third year Garrett Wilson, the uh, you know fourth year Chris Ilave, those guys did not take a ton of reps in the spring. So I feel like Marvin Harrison's probably going to be in that group as well, where you're not going to see, you'll see Marvin Harrison with uh, three catches for 30 yards in the spring game. And then he'll sit out everything after the first drive and a half or something like that. So it feels like this is an area where we're going to learn a lot about a lot of those young receivers. Because you had that 2022 class that came in and the leading receiver had one catch. And so you're going to get a chance to see a lot more of those guys. You're going to get a chance to see probably a lot more Jaden Ballard this spring. And you're going to get to see some of the the new guys who came in, uh, who are the 2023 guys who who are in for the spring. So this is going to be an opportunity to just find out, you know, if, I think you right now with Xavier Johnson, with, uh, Marvin Harrison with Julian Fleming with Emeka Buku, you kind of know what they have with those guys this is going to be a really interesting spring because it feels like okay who's going to be five and six and seven like what what is the order going to be there because there's a lot of talented young guys and we really haven't gotten a chance to see them we're going to get a chance to see a lot of them this spring and you know maybe you start to sort out okay who's who's going to be five and six and maybe potentially get on the field and who might be able to jump up and and even move higher in that rotation if they have you know, a particularly good spring and, and a particularly good fall camp.
0: When I saw when Ryan Day said that Julian Fleming and Emeka Abuka were going to be out, that immediately led me to thinking, okay, it's going to be the spring of Jaden Ballard and the spring of Caleb Brown. And those are two guys I would expect Jaden Ballard were probably going to be hearing constantly about things he's doing. Caleb Brown in that slot, uh, Xavier Johnson will be, be in that slot as well because of uh, obviously being out. So you're going to have guys in there that like, everybody moves up. And so those guys get more reps, more opportunities to make plays. So I expect to hear about those guys. I think it would behoove everybody for Ohio State to behoove the Buckeyes to hear more and more about the second-year guys, Keon Grays, Kojo Antwi, Caleb Burton, and as I said, Caleb Brown. Um, There's going to be opportunities with, like you said, the veterans out. And how many reps is Xavier Johnson really taking at this point either? We'll see. Tight edge, you you talked with – you were there with Keenan Bailey. I was not – so I don't know what was said there. Go ahead and uh, give us the lowdown.
1: Yeah, he he talked a lot about the – well, first of all, how – Fortunate he is to have a lot of those guys back. Having a Cade Stover back this year makes such a difference at the top of that that tight end room. And then now you're working in the uh, you know Joe Royers and and Sam Hart's and all those other guys, G Scotts. So you're you know you kind of working in guys, but having that that guy who has played a whole bunch of snaps and played pretty well last year, uh, he you know having him back is, is a big big start to the uh, to that room. was asked about replacing mitch rossi who do you have a guy on that on that mitch rossi for that mitch rossi kind of fullback slash tight end role and he said you know he he didn't he didn't say yes and it was more of a kind of you have to adapt your offense to what you have personnel wise so you know there's been some talk that maybe zach herb plays that role but if he doesn't then that maybe changes a little bit what they have to do in that tight end room uh, he also talked about the fact that his path to the tight ends coaching job has been kind of a circuitous circuitous one. He has worked over you know over the years at various times with the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the offensive line. And uh, he, I asked him about you know how much of what you're doing in terms of tight end coaching, how much of that is coaching is coaching, and it's you know all the uh, you know attitude and preparation and all kind of stuff, and how much of that is like really specific technique and you got to learn some different technique kind of stuff to coach tight ends than you did coaching wide receivers or uh, offensive line and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it it sounds like it's probably, I don't think he put a number on it, but just sort of the way he talked about it, it felt like it was about 60%, you know, coaching is coaching and 40% is sort of the technique kind of stuff. But, you know, one of the interesting things about coaching tight ends is having coached offensive line, you're getting a lot of that blocking technique and the blocking scheme and all that kind of stuff. From having worked with the offensive line over the years. You're getting a lot of the receiving portion of your job with the tight ends with the uh, wide receiver coaching experience he has over the years. So it feels like he kind of has all the tools and now it's just a matter of sort of, you know, taking taking those apart and reassembling them to uh, become a tight ends coach.
0: Yeah, he's got a, a very packed room and going to be adding to it with Jelani Thurman as well. So definitely a number of guys to work with there. And I, as we've been saying, I expect to hear Joe Royer's name this spring as a guy who's having a good, good, uh, good camp. Walking out there, saw G Scott and Xavier Johnson coming off of the practice field, probably doing some jugs, guns, uh, work, catching some passes there. Obviously, the season did not finish the way G Scott wanted. So there's going to be some continued motivation there. And not that he's one that has suffered motivation issues. I wouldn't be surprised to hear plenty of his name as well in spring. Offensive line, the the first most interesting thing to me, Ryan Day talked about how they're going to be moving some guys around and, and doing some things, and I, you know, I don't want to get into it. And I'm thinking, yeah, you probably don't want to mention that you're going to move Donovan Jackson to left tackle. I understand. You don't want to talk about it just yet you know, until you do it. And then later on during his session, he's like, well, we're going to keep Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones stay at guard. We're going to keep them both at guard. And I was like, well, wow, that's to me, that's pretty significant. That says that you feel better at tackle than maybe those on the outside think you should. I don't know if that means Josh Fryer is a left tackle or a right tackle. Asking uh, Justin Fry about that, he's like, well, you know, get right, right-brained right people, left-brained people, right-handed people, left-handed people. You just got to see, though. They'll try him at both spots. To me, this felt like it was a a better sign that, uh, or a, a sign that Zen Mahalski is stepping up. But he, Ryan Day also said that they have moved Tegra Shibola to tackle as well. To me, he's more of a right than a left. But I don't. I take this as good news for the tackle position. I don't think things are solved. I just think maybe. And Ryan Day said it like, yeah, you're going to have to move some guys around to see what they can do. But they want guys to find homes and they want guys to be comfortable in those homes. And you've got two guys in Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones that are comfortable. Then maybe the process of elimination, then then you just need to find three more instead of trying to figure out where everybody else is comfortable, even though we're going to go with the best five and, and, and that. But they're also very, very. Um, they want some guys to find comfort. And if you've got two guys that are already comfortable, let's see if you can just find the other three. Yeah. If you
1: don't have to shuffle everyone and have everyone in a new position, that's obviously preferable. You know, if you didn't have to kick Donovan Jackson out to left guard and or left tackle and uh, move Matt Jones to center and have five guys starting in different spots than they did last year, that that's obviously preferable if you can avoid that. But you know, day's answer was kind of, you know, I maybe guarded optimism some cautious optimism that you know they it, it just sort of my the vibe that I got was they might have the pieces they need to field a good offensive line right now but they genuinely don't a hundred percent know for sure because you know if josh fryer can play left tackle at the level they need great that solves one problem and then putting someone at right tackle that maybe makes it a little bit easier to find a right tackle because you know, left tackle is a tougher spot than right tackle. And, you know, if Tager Chibola can be a right tackle and not a left tackle, okay, great, then you put Tager Chibola at right tackle. Fantastic. Or if Zen Mahalski really steps up and plays left tackle well, then you could put Josh Fryer at right tackle. And we have seen Josh Fryer already play right tackle at a pretty pretty decent level. So that would potentially solve that. They're bringing in Vic Cutler uh, out of ULM. He sounds like he's going to at least get the chance to take, you know, take the first snaps at center this spring with Jacob James out. If that doesn't work well, then you're going to have to see, maybe you have to kick Matt Jones over to center from right guard. And you put Enoch for in at a guard spot. This is all, it just, it feels like they think they might have the pieces to make this all work. And, you know, we didn't even get into George Fitzpatrick or those guys, some of the younger guys uh, who could potentially fit into that role as well. But, you know, they think they might have the pieces, but this time last year, I think we all kind of said, okay, odds are this is going to be the starting line, this guy, this guy, you know, right across the deck, these five guys, and it never really wavered from that much. This year, it feels much more wide open. Like, they're hopeful, they're optimistic, but they don't really know for sure. And it would not at all surprise me if they came out of spring and said, you know what, we're not 100% comfortable with this. And then you try and dip into the portal and you try and find that left tackle, that right tackle, whatever it is that you're missing, that center, if you don't feel like you've got a center coming out of the spring, whatever it is, you dip into the portal to uh, try and find uh, whatever that missing piece is. One thing, speaking of centers, it was interesting. There was sort of the question, I think Luke Whippler turning pro caught some of us off guard, it sounded like that maybe caught some of the Ohio State coaches a little bit off guard, like maybe that had been a little bit of a conversation, but they weren't necessarily thinking he was leaning towards leaving, and that, you know, when he left, that left kind of a pretty big hole in the middle of that line, because if you've got Luke Whipler back, then potentially you have both guards and your center back, or you could have, you know, kick one of those guys out to tackle, but you still got three of your guys back. Losing Luke Whippler feels like that was maybe the one kind of surprising twist where they were sort of expecting to lose both tackles, but not necessarily expecting to lose Whippler.
0: Yeah. When you look at that 2020 recruiting class, you never expect to lose an offensive lineman after three years, but you can look at Paris Johnson and go, yeah, he's a pretty good candidate. And that's a that's guy you recruit thinking, okay, we better get the most out of him after, you know in, in three years because it probably won't happen for a fourth year, even though it's rare. But also, he was a rare recruit. Luke Whipple,r and no disrespect, he's just a guy. Like he's every every major class, every major school has a guy like him, you know, rated, you know, in the top two or three of his position. But you know, you don't expect to lose an off, uh, offensive lineman after three years. And of course, he did very, very well in his time as an Ohio State starter. Very determined to become a starter following his freshman year in 2020. So, you know, he's he, he's a guy who is ahead of his game. And it continues to move forward, and you're not really going to hold him back. And Ohio State was sounded like they were pretty bummed when he left, and they should be. Uh, one, one last thing from Fry that I thought was interesting. He said he just told his guys this, like today or, or yesterday this week, talking about offensive line. He said, "The first year as an offensive lineman, you learn how to be a college football player. The second year, you learn your position. The third year is when you play your position." Like this is you, know, you don't don't just it's going to be tough for everybody. The freshman you're barely going to be keeping your head above water. That's what happened last year with the freshman, and now those guys have a better understanding. I just thought it was like it's an interesting way to 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 frame it. You know, you, first you can learn how to be just a regular player, then you're going to learn your position, and then finally you get to you get to play it. So that's where uh, a lot of his guys are now moving into that second or third year. Where they need those guys to step up, and this is going to be a big, big spring for all of them. Defensive line talked with Larry Johnson for quite a bit. Uh, Defensive end, I thought it was interesting. He (laughs) asked about uh, Jack Sawyer, and it just really seems like you know he would he would love it if Jack Sawyer didn't have to do any of that Jack stuff. Like if he didn't, if he could just stay as a defensive end and rush the passer and not get involved in all of the other stuff. And, you know, that's not going to be completely off the table. I think you'll still see Jack Sawyer doing some of that stuff. It's just interesting where you see like a position coach trying not to go against the grain in terms of what he would prefer. But I think you know, that – and and both Larry Johnson and and Jim Knowles like J.T. Tui Moloow can do that stuff. It doesn't have to just be one guy. Jim Knowles said, "Just keep an eye on Mitchell Melton as well. Even though he's out, he's a guy that they really, really like at that spot. And if he can develop and blossom there, that keeps Jack Sawyer at defensive end more. And of course, Caden Curry is there. But you don't, I don't, I don't know how much they're going to be rotating there anyway. So even, you know, the way it's eventually going to work out, um, if they can get Mitchell Melton back and maybe keep Jack Sawyer as a defensive end as much as possible." That might keep Larry Johnson happy, and it might keep Jack Sawyer happy. And not that either of these guys are going to not do what they're being asked to, and not that Jack Sawyer wants to just be a defensive end. But I think everybody wants to be able to just be comfortable, and maybe that would be a way that everybody gets more comfortable.
1: You get the sense that they would, I'm sure, like to have guys. I mean, we talk about this at the wide receiver positions. We talk about this at some of the safety positions and, and even the offensive line at times where you're sort of cross-trained where you can do something else if necessary. But if you can kind of, you can sort of be ready to do that if needed, but that's only a break glass in case of emergency kind of situation. And you can just focus mainly on your one position during games and on the field. That's probably advantageous for your preparation. And, you know, you're sort of ready to, to step in if needed, but you hope you're not needed. Mitchell Melton is kind of the a little bit of an X factor here because going into the spring game last year he was someone who you kept hearing good things about you kept hearing that they were really excited about Mitchell Melton and liked what he you know liked what he was bringing and then he blows out his knee in the spring game and just one of those non-contact things I remember being sitting right next to you and seeing him go down and it was like oh no you knew immediately what had happened and you know he was someone who had kind of been waiting his turn a little bit and seemed like he was finally on the cusp of taking that next step and then blows out his knee and then misses the whole year and is going to miss the spring as well so you I don't know that you can rely on Mitchell Melton this fall necessarily because you don't know what you're going to have you you don't how is he going to come back a hundred percent exactly what he was before you certainly hope so and maybe he does sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't knees are a little more predictable that they're generally okay to do that but. You're still that's that's putting a lot of eggs in his basket. So finding someone else there is going to be, you know, important to sort of help with with uh, fleshing that roll out a little bit. You also asked Larry Johnson about the interior of the defensive line, which I thought was interesting because, you know, we we talked about we did a uh, show on the depth charts and, you know, sort of projecting the depth charts on the uh, Buckeyes Tomorrow Morning Show a couple of weeks ago. And you had been, you know, sort of playing around with like maybe sliding some guys from nose to three tech or vice versa, you know, to, to sort of balance out those positions. What did Larry Johnson tell you about that?
0: Well, yeah, I asked, you know, with Ty Hamilton stepping up the way he did, do you maybe move my call to three tech so that you can have those two guys separate from each other and starting together? And he was like, Yeah, you know, we'll we'll look at all of these things and and he basically finished up by saying, Well, my call is gonna be starting somewhere. And so, you know, that's all you need to, that's all you need to worry about. Ty Hamilton won that job, but don't worry, my call is gonna be starting somewhere. And so I I tend to think at this point. I, I still think he's going to be three tech and Ty Hamilton. If he's playing, continue to do, does everything that the coaches say he do, does, and then plays well and is, is a strong guy on there. Like to me, I, it makes sense to separate those two. If if he's your best nose tackle, and or if if these two are your best defensive tackles, separate them. And now you would have a rotation at three tech with Mike Hall and Tyler Williams. And if you saw Tyler Williams posted on social media a couple of days ago, some some speed numbers where he was the fastest of the, the defensive linemen. and Mitchell Melton was also up there. Uh, And it sounds like these might be pretty recent. So that would be a great sign for Mitchell Melton, but we know Tyreek Williams has burst. Um, You know, to me, that's a a pretty impressive one, two combo, unless of course, both of those guys are now ready to play 40 snaps a game and you put them side by side. I think that would be a devastating Mm -hmm. thing. I just, can, is Tyler Williams at that point where you can rely on him for that? I would need to see it. Like if, if they tear it up this spring, by all means, put those two guys next to each other and, and, and have them play at the same time. I think they would be devastating. I just don't know that that, that's going to happen. I mean, and that feels like wishery more than reality. And it feels like it should be reality, but we haven't seen it yet. And, oh, and not to interrupt you, but we, we saw them come in and pass packages towards the end of the season, but like, enough enough subbing, enough packaging, like be the guys. Yeah, you saw them situationally. You didn't see
1: them 40 snaps a game, 45 snaps a game, which is based on how they, the impact that those guys can have when they're out there, you want to see more of them. And it feels like there must be a reason that you haven't seen more of them. And, you know, we we've heard, you know, conditioning and discipline and all that kind of stuff just you know focus and and you know you whatever the reason is you got to you know you've got to see it and i'm i'm kind of with you where it makes sense like yes that would be the best possible outcome i'm sure the coaches are also smart enough to know that would be the best possible outcome and therefore if they haven't done that yet it feels like there's probably a reason for that so whatever that reason is you got to get that worked out sometime between now and the indiana game and and get it figured out, and then, because you do have, there's not a ton of depth in those interior spots. It's basically the three guys we've talked about and Hero Canoe are kind of the bulk of what they've got on the interior of that defensive line. So it's not incredibly deep position, but those are also guys who, if you have, if you do get 40 snaps a game from those guys, that could be a really game-changing thing on the interior of that defensive line.
0: It was interesting. Larry Johnson said uh, Hero Canoe came in at about 330 and is down to about 310, 305 now. Like that's um I didn't realize he had he had gotten that big because he never really looked that big, but he's naturally big. Like when you saw him at camp, I mean I think he was maybe supposed to be at like two hundred and ninety five pounds at that point, I'm not sure, but um a guy who uh is going to factor in as well, just not sure exactly where linebackers, Tom. No Tommy Eichenberg. Um, I'm not sure if this is a dual thumb surgery. Probably not. Uh, just, uh, you know, like you said, I, I'm sure the, the middle linebacker every year can probably be cleaned up and miss a spring. You know, it's like this is just standard operating procedure. No middle linebackers during spring ball. They're all being fixed. Um, so there's that situation. I would expect uh, some code, plenty of Cody Simon there. I am interested to see what happens. Where is, is CJ Hicks? Strictly a a a will a steel chamber. Strictly a will. Do they try to mix one of those guys in? Can Reed Carico step in as as a as a Mike Gabe Power? So they it's not just doesn't just have to be C J Hicks in there. And, and there are some other guys, that, some young guys that need to step in. Reed Carico is to the point now where you know he, he's very following along that Tommy Eichenberg path where you don't play at all for your first two years, and you know, that doesn't mean you're not going to play. But uh, sure would help if somebody got out of the way for you, and then you can play. But uh, it'd be a big spring for them. Also, Tom, we got to talk to James Laurinaitis for uh, almost 35 minutes. Obviously, he's very happy to be back at Ohio State as a graduate assistant. An and, and example of the right time, right timing. And he was asked about why didn't it happen before. And just said, even – going to Notre Dame for a year and seeing all of the support people. Everybody has a very important job and you can't just take one of those guys and say, here, James, you do this job. Like It's all too well-run and too intricate in big-time college football just to find a spot. So something has to be open. And there was now an opening with Coy McFarland going to Tulsa from Ohio State as a GA with, with Kevin Wilson. And so this one made a lot of sense. Ryan Day called him up, said, would you have interest? And James Leonard said, well, I have to ask my boss, which, of course, is his wife. So he asked his wife and his two daughters. And they were like, "Uh, yeah, you know, yes, please. You know, (laughs) yes, definitely. You have our blessing. Uh, But one of the other things that he was worried about or he was concerned about, he wanted to know, because he said he had a lot of responsibility at Notre Dame as a linebackers coach. And he didn't want that to be lessened at Ohio State. Like, he wants to be involved. And that's probably, like, the one thing a head coach wants to hear from a graduate assistant. Like, I want to be involved. Boom, you're hired. Like, <laughs> I want as much work as possible. I want to be. And so, I he you can just view him as the linebacker's coach, basically, from from here on out. And we I don't think we ever got to talk to Coy McFarland. Obviously, this is a much different circumstance. And I do wonder if that will continue. It wouldn't shock me if it does. Uh, but when he sat down, he, he back in the whack and somebody asked him if he had flashbacks. He's like, you know, I I feel like I can hear Luke Fickle yelling at me right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a uh, you know you could you you see those guys who are the former players who come back, and it's it's very different for them coming back than it is for some other new staff addition, you know. Tim Walton coming back last year was different than Perry Aliano coming back. And they have kind of made a point to bring back some of those former guys. That was something that Dave was asked about. You know, you have a bunch of, I think he said six or eight former six. players on staff. Yeah, so, you know, but that that includes, you know, Brian Hartline, obviously, and and James Laurinaitis now, but it also includes guys like C.J. Barnett, who is, you know, just he's not one of the 10 assistant on-field coaches. He's just, he's like a staff guy, but he is, again, someone who has gone through the process as a player and is now there as a coach and can kind of help, you know, help, um, it, you know, set guys up for success because they know themselves what it took to be successful when they were at Ohio state. And James Laurinaitis was talking, you know, he is livid in what he can do right now. I think in a little bit in terms of recruiting in his current role, but when he's talking to guys, he, you know, it is not, it is not hard for him to sell Ohio state because it's, well, what did, what sold you on Ohio state? Okay. How did Ohio State set you up for long term success in your career both as a football player and then after after your football career ended That is not a hard thing to sell that is not I have to go check my notes that is this is my lived experience. Let me tell you how it helped me and how it might therefore also help you and so that that feels like that is you know a little bit of an intentional thing with day where he's trying to hire guys who you know have ties to the program and you're not gonna hire. You're not going to make the entire coaching staff out of former players, but you're going to try and do that as best as you can. And you're trying to, you know, he also seems like he's sort of got a a little bit of a pattern of bringing up the GAs to those ten countable assistant coach positions when those spots come available. You know, internal hires, internal promotions, building your staff from within. Because again, you if you are going to be a cultural centric program, you got to build that culture from within, and you have guys who you who you move up. Who you know understand that culture, and there are limitations to that. It's good to bring in outside voices as well, but that's that is that feels like those are a couple like really intentional choices that uh, Ryan Day has made in terms of his staff construction right now. Moving a Keenan Bailey up uh, from a GA to a ten on-field uh, assistant, uh, ten on-field assistant coach position, and then bringing in a former guy like James Laurinaitis again to kind of continue building what what Ryan Day wants this, the culture of this program to be.
0: James Laurinaitis and Brian Hartline is an incredible example to aspire to be because he is ready for every opportunity and he makes the most of every opportunity. He maximizes it. So that's what James Laurinaitis has set out to do. Be ready. And then when when that opportunity arises, make the most of it, maximize it, and then take the next step. And somebody asked him, "What what are your coaching goals? And he said, to be the best linebacker coach in America at my alma mater. That's all he wants right now. And so that's what he's focused on. Uh, I asked Jim Knowles about him. He's like, it's interesting to have now a guy on your staff whose picture has been on, on your wall for the past year. You know, basically like one of those things. You see him every day, and now you finally get to meet him and talk to him and interact with him. So they're looking forward to Doing that, and I think uh, I think he's been there for maybe a couple of days. Noel said, like, uh, so I asked him, like, so what's it like? He's like, ah, you know, been here for two days, things are going great, you know, that sort of thing. The the corners we talked with Tim Walton. He uh, can't talk about Davison Igbenosen yet. He's not official, so that's that's been off the table. Talking about Denzel Burke as the the lone returning starter, did not call him a starter. Just said he's the lone returning starter, and he made a point like I'm not. No, nobody is a starter, and this is just. a fact, <laughs> Denzel Burke is a returning starter. Jordan Hancock. Everybody else, obviously, you're going to have a competition for everybody. I think we all expect Denzel Burke to be one of those two starters. I don't necessarily expect Davis and Igbinosen to just come in and start start. And it sounds like he's going to somehow be able to participate in spring practice. With uh, with like a, a short semester spring thing, Tom?
1: Yeah, that was something that we recorded that instant reaction show that dropped as soon as the news broke. And our assumption at that time was, well, it's going to be, you know, it's basically the start of February. The semester started three weeks ago. So obviously he's not here yet. And Alex Gleitman, who has been Alex Gleitman of BuckeyeHuddle.com, one of our recruiting analysts, has been really, really all over this. this is a Jersey guy, so Alex has a ton of great connections there. He said after talking to folks who were kind of close to the situation, it sounds like he is going to be able to enroll in time for spring ball, which Ohio State for those of us who uh, went to Ohio State during the quarters situ- uh, the quarters era this is all very different, but they have like sub semesters and it's like phase one of spring semester and phase two of spring semester and you can you know you can like split your semester into half or something, and then there's Maymester, which happens in May. It's all very confusing. This is this I am very old man shakes fist at cloud uh, at you know at what Ohio State is academic calendar wise now, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, so he can potentially I guess enroll for phase two of spring semester, and uh, you know then that's on March 1st I believe. So then you would be in in time to actually take part in the spring ball. So that that. Sounds like that maybe that's the case. None of this is official. This is just sort of uh interpreting based on Alex's reporting. I don't know that there are that many specifics out there yet. But, you know, if he's in for spring, that that really makes this a much more interesting, you know, chase for that job because you have Davis and Minosin, you have Denzel Burke, you've got Jordan Hancock, you also got J.R. Brown. And I think J. R. Brown is kind of a sneaky, uh, a sneaky uh fourth option there. Because he was pretty impressive in the spots that he was thrown into, and that is not easy to do as a true freshman. Denzel Burke did that in 2021, and then you got a little bit of Jair Brown there in 2022. You got Ryan Turner in that mix as well. There are opportunities. There are clear pathways to the field for just about any of those guys if they have a big spring and a good summer. So if Davison Igmanosin is in for that uh, for that spring ball, that you know certainly certainly puts him firmly in the mix for a starting job. But I would definitely not say. A guaranteed starting job. I, I don't think that you're anywhere close to, to that level with him.
0: Jair Brown might have the longest odds of the three, but I might like those odds the best. If I were making a wager because again, yeah, he, he was impressive in the limited opportunities that he got. Uh, I, I did. A, I, I grabbed clips from three games that um, Ole Miss played last year, and I grabbed all of the Davison, the relevant Davison, Ignatson clips, and uh, I wrote up just some thoughts on him. Put those videos out on Twitter and the time that it's a funny thing. When you put out some videos of players who aren't perfect, uh, when they make some mistakes, uh, the the reaction is that boy, this guy is awful. This guy, what is he doing? Football should not be his first sport. This guy should be doing something else. He should be working a checkout line, something of that nature. And not even like an actual checkout line. Just staying back for the quit that the self-checkout lane and, and, and like checking IDs. That's all this guy should is good for. That's that's kind of the reaction to, from a, from a couple of people. And It's like he was a freshman cornerback playing in the, in the SEC, playing in major college football. It's not always going to look fantastic, uh, but you get a, a you get a guy with ten starts under his belt who now come into your program, and you know, and <laughs> Tom, watching some of this Ole Miss defense, they do some weird stuff, man. Like they will have corners like eleven yards off the line. There, you know, it's 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 very foreign to to what we've seen at Ohio State. Um, see if he can blossom. But uh, it, it, what's interesting? Because I think half of the people who are like freshman all American, he's an instant starter. Get Denzel Burke out of there. Then they watch some of the video and see like he got called for pass interference. This guy is never going to play. And you know what? Turns turns out it's, it's everything's in the middle. The, the The extremes are not for the players. The extremes are for the people who um you know react wildly on social media i i think davis and Igben-Oson will be somewhere between uh, pretty good and quite good you're
1: never going to get a fox sports afternoon talk show with that <laughs> attitude mister that is not how this is done at all is yep. he a bum or is he a future hall of famer make <laughs> up your mind please goodness we have a show to run come on <laughs> It, it's funny. I I had to like your brain. I know exactly what you're talking about because I started watching the video you put on on Twitter, and I was like, oh, that's weird. He missed a tackle, and it's like, oh, right. This isn't like his huddle highlights. Yeah. This is not just all the good plays. This is not Cam Martinez ten minutes of touchdowns. It's like, oh, every once in a while, as a quarterback, you throw an incomplete pass. Really? Since when? I watch all my football through huddle films. Is that not is that not accurate? I thought I thought that's how football worked. No. Yeah. He's he's he is another player who has an opportunity to earn a starting spot with Ohio State. He is not this is not Justin Fields coming in and, you know, this is very clearly the most talented player at the position. This is a player who is talented, has an opportunity to earn a spot, provides incredibly valuable depth and competition at that position and we'll see how the spring goes and we'll see how the summer goes and maybe he earns a starting spot. That's entirely possible. There are a lot of other talented guys in that room. Having one more talented guy in that room is a good thing. That is not, you know, this is not something that is a problem if he comes in and is the third corner or is the you know the first corner off the bench. If he comes in and is the first corner off the bench, that is not a wasted scholarship. That is not a bad that is not a bad roster move if he is the first guy off the bench. It is not a bad roster move if he's the second guy off the bench, because if he's the second guy off the bench, guess what? That means that if he wasn't there, you'd have the guy who's the third guy off the bench being the second guy off the bench. That's actually a good thing to have a little bit more quality depth at that spot. And if he earns a starting spot, great. But don't you know? I don't. I don't think any of those decisions have been made yet by the people who matter. So don't feel like you should make those decisions and final final judgments based on uh, two minutes and eighteen seconds of uh, Tony's video work on Twitter.
0: I don't know. I, I was pretty proud of it. I got some circles on there. <laughs> I got some nice transitions from uh, from highlight to highlight. Although to call them highlights, star
1: wipe, star wipe, star wipe, star wipe.
0: I get it, and somebody responded like, "Are these low lights? Like, no, they're just they're just clips. It, it's just. Every clip, uh, it's not highlights. It's it, it is a it is a jarring thing where like like oh, okay, this is reality. Um, safeties. One of like they're not sure that Jihad Carter is necessarily the nickel. Jim Knows like, now he could play there, um, but he can also play in in the back. And he's done all of this stuff. And Jim Knowles also said that you know he he wants to see more of Cam Martinez and what he can do because they they haven't really gotten a good chance to see that. And I know when I posted that on, the, on that on the message board, people are, people are like, he didn't, he hasn't seen enough. Um, so that's again the the extremes. Obviously, they you're not just going to write somebody off. You've got all spring to to work on getting more information and getting him more reps, Cam Martinez, and also Jihad Carter. I do still expect Jahad Carter to be that guy at least competing there, because you've got the options in the back end with Lathan Ransom, who Noel said he could play either. And Obviously, it's too early to say one way or the other. And he's talking about all of these guys, you know, high on Cam, high on Josh Proctor, and then and basically like, Sonny's going to play somewhere. That was another thing that Jim Noel said, like, Sonny's going to play. So where that is, um, he said uh, like 25% of spring is like experimenting. And I asked him, so how much of that 25% is, uh, like based on Sonny? He's like, well, you know, it's, it's, he's an interesting athlete and to find places for him to do stuff. Um, that's what we've talked about, Tom. You don't have to just keep him a safety. And that's not what they did at CFP. They had him down in a box. So finding the different things that he can do while also allowing him to find a home, I think is, and that was one of the, the things about Davis and Enigmanos and playing all of these different coverages as a true freshman. It's hard to get good at certain things when you're playing as much deep zone as you are pressed, as you are completely off. Like having Sonny Styles be able to do all of the, these things is, is great, but kind of like the offensive line as well, you still want them to find a home. I think the spring is about finding homes for just about everybody at safety.
1: Well, with Sonny Styles in particular, he's such a talented player that. You want him, you need him on the field somewhere because that is just, that's talent that you just don't, does not come around every day. That is, there is a reason he was a five-star. There is a reason he was able to play in the college football playoff at a time when he should have been still a student in high school. That is not normal. And, you know, we've heard them talk about him as a secret weapon and just an athletic freak. And that's the kind of guy you find a spot for on the field. And if that spot is four different spots, that's fine. It's you know it's better if you kind of have one consistent spot you're mainly focused at and then you can sort of move around and adjust a little bit as as you know the circumstances dictate but yeah, he's he's someone who of all the guys in that defense I think or in that it, in that safety room I think he's the guy that I would be most confident averages at least you know 35 40 snaps this fall and you know Lathan Ransom is probably in that conversation as well but he just, you're going to find a spot for him somewhere. And, you know, maybe sometimes that's more linebackery. Maybe sometimes that's, you know, I, he, he could slot in just about anywhere back there and, and kind of go, yeah, okay, I can talk myself into that. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. It's, you know, you've got Josh Proctor back. And I feel like Josh Proctor, you could kind of take all the stuff I just said about Igman and apply it to Josh Proctor where, yeah, he could be a starter. Yeah, he could be the number two guy somewhere. Whatever it is, he's going to make them better back there. Either as a starter or as a depth guy, Lathan Ransom. We'll see where he slots in. You know, Cam Martinez, Jihad Carter. We'll see where those guys slot in. But you know, that is a room where they were maybe a little short of talent, and now you know, at bringing in Jihad Carter is a big deal. Getting back Josh Proctor is a big deal because now you have, you know, instead of three guys, and then you're you know leaning on a Kai Stokes or someone like that to make a a big a big role in his second year on campus. You got a little more depth back there, and you can work those guys in a little more situationally, and just find the right spots for them.
0: And lastly, special teams. Neither you or I really spent any time with Parker Fleming. We were walking around with other guys. Um, So, you know, what 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 is there to say about the special teams? They're outstanding all year long. No concerns there. Certainly no uh, no um, mistakes at the end that I can think of.
1: Uh, He said, getting everyone in trouble. Uh, You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a, it's a weird situation there where you've got a new long snapper. You got Jesse Murko back so Jesse Murko, You kind of know what you got. I think Parker Fleming's probably going to be the front runner for that. I'm sorry. Parker Lewis is going to be the front runner for that, that place kicking field goal kind of role there. But, you know, at, at the end, I walked up right at the end and Parker Fleming was asked, like, how many kickers do you guys have on scholarship right now? And it's kind of like, well, that's a complicated question. It was like, how is that a complicated question? But with Ohio State, it is kind of a complicated question. Uh, so, you you know, there's going to be a little bit of a uh, moving, moving uh, target there. But I, I think, you know, I, I would be very surprised if uh, Parker Lewis was not the kicker, Jesse Marco, not the long uh, the punter and then the long snapper from uh, Arizona State um those those feel like more or less sure things and then you know he he was talking about the fact that the loss of Jackson Smith and Jigba in the punt return game last year really kind of threw them off that changed sort of what they were trying to do in the punt return game last year and uh so yeah the the you know the, there's never a shortage of skill talents at Ohio State so i'm sure they'll have uh, i'm sure they'll have someone back to throw back there at at those different spots it'll be very interesting to see You know that's somewhere we where we have seen you know the exciting electric true freshman who you just want to see with the ball in his hands in the open field. It'll be interesting to see which of those guys potentially slots into that into that role or the kick return role this year.
0: Uh, It feels to me like saying you the loss of Jackson Smith and Jigba affected them at punt return. It affected them in finding a guy to fair catch, basically because they had some issues with that. Like I. Do we really think Jackson Smith and Jacob is going to be running around returning catch, returning kicks, returning punts? I swear it's just the only job for the punt returner is to catch, to fair catch it, and then that's it. And do you think that, you know, that, that interrupted what you were going to do there or it impacted it? I mean, uh, I, it's, a, it's a, it impacted, what, three returns that you're going to have for 22 yards? I mean... I'll leave it at that. Time. I'll leave it alone. It's time to go. Um, anything else before we do call it a day?
1: I think that was the uh, the big stuff. And if not, I'm sure I will remember something else as soon as we're done. And uh, if so, I will talk about it with Kevin Noon on the Buckeyes Tomorrow Morning episode that we'll run on. Today this week.
0: Fantastic! I look forward to watching that and listening to that. I do it both. I'm not oh, I should just I should just start doing it at the same time. Sync the audio and the video. Yeah, I'll become twice as productive. I don't know. It's dangerous. Anyway, that will do it for this episode. I want to thank you all for joining us. As always, you can find us at BuckeyeHuddle.com. Come a remember, say hello to us there on the message board. Also find us at YouTube.com slash BuckeyeHuddle as well. Go ahead and like this video if you like it. Go ahead and hit that thumbs up. Remember to subscribe on YouTube to us as well. So thank you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys later.